Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And Phil, I've decided from now on I'm going to call you... Little Mr. Sunshine. Ah, I bring a smile to everyone's face. Well, I think that's true, actually. And you have been very positive of late. You know, you have been upbeat. So maybe Little Mr. Sunshine is uh, is an apropos nickname after all. Thank you. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Yes, it's 2019. It's a new year. It's a new me. It's, uh, yeah, I'm being all positive, all good. And I think that's the way we should all be. I I agree. I like that. That's why I've started a new cult. If you want to get in touch, (laughs) join it. I've got a... Got some lovely saffron robes we can all wear. That's right. That's right. Listen, our cult is the best because we don't put pressure on anybody for anything. There's no real rules or religion to it. It's just the super high membership fees that can be paid directly to Phil and myself that keep yeah. some people from joining. But if you're interested... Yeah, it's 999.99 and you just have to send it over uh, payable to cash. That's right. That's all fine. Yeah, yeah. And you're in. You're in. Simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, little Mr. Sunshine, why don't you tell people what movies we're talking about in today's episode? We are going to be going after the ending of... Wait for it. Little Miss Sunshine. Uh-huh, it all ties together. And also, we're going to be going after the ending of Memento. That's uh, Christopher Nolan's excellent movie from the year 2000. Yes. And do you want to tell listeners about uh, this this week's top five? Yeah, so in this week's 100 Stars of Hollywood in 100 episodes, we're going to be sharing our top five performances by Meryl Streep, uh, widely regarded as probably the finest actress in the world. So this is an interesting list, and we'll discuss that a little bit more when we get to it. But for now, let's uh, let's dig into our films, shall we? Yes, let's do it. All right, why don't you start off? We're going to start with Memento, I think. And uh, before we get into it, should we tell listeners what we've decided to do to make this uh, a yes, little... Yes, because otherwise it could get a little bit confusing. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yes, because if you've seen... Oh, for, for new listeners, there's going to be spoilers ahead. I'll be recapping the film, the basic events of the film anyway, and then we'll go into our endings. But where we usually do the day after, immediate aftermath, and then the long term... Because of the structure of Memento, we thought we'd be a little bit clever. Yeah. And probably not that, probably more predictable than we, we thought <laughs> right. we were. Right. Not actually that clever, but we thought we were yeah. being clever. Yeah. People are probably, you know, we're going to start with the uh, the long term and go to the immediate aftermath and then go to the day after. We're yeah. going to do it backwards. Yeah, well, you know, Memento is, it's a great film, but it's famous for being told in reverse chronology, basically. You know, it's its its not backwards like everyone's yeah. talking backwards, but, you know, there's basically the scenes are cut up into these like five, ten minute vignettes, and each one takes place before the scene that came before it. So it, it the whole film kind of tells its story backwards, so it kind of starts at the end and goes to the beginning. So we thought, well, why not honor the spirit of the film and do the same thing? And it's either going to be really awesome, it's going to work really well, or it'll be a complete train wreck. And I can't tell uh, which of those I think would be better, but <laughs> that's what yes, we're doing. Yes, but but the beauty of listening to a podcast, you can always skip ahead to the next section when we do Little Miss Sunshine. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Phil, this is a complex film, but I, I know you've uh, boiled it down. Why don't you go ahead and tell it? Take us through the events of M- Memento as best you can. Yeah. Guy loses his memory, tries to find a person who killed his wife. That's it. Oh, there you go. Okay. No. No. Uh, we follow Leonard, played by Guy Pierce, who's trying to track down a man who raped and killed his wife. Uh, Leonard was injured in the attack and was left with anti-regrade amnesia. 
which means he's unable to store recent memories. So it's anything between five or 15 minutes and his, his memory basically resets. Uh, however, using tattoos on his body and Polaroid photos, Leonard leaves himself clues so he can uh, continue the investigation. He's helped by a man named Teddy, played by Joe Pantoliano, and a woman named Natalie, played by Carrie-Anne Moss. As the investigation uh, uh, progresses, Teddy ends up revealing that he helped Leonard kill the real attacker, uh, Nick called uh, John G, uh, about a year ago, and has been using Leonard ever since uh, to track down other people and get them killed because Teddy's uh, a bad man. Leonard quickly writes, do not trust Teddy on a photo, just so he can set it all up in his head. And eventually, due to various clues and tattoos, to deliberately deceive himself that Teddy was the attacker, Leonard ends up driving Teddy to an abandoned building and kills him. And that's uh, Memento. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much the story. It doesn't really, of course, capture what's going on in the film because, you know, in the, in the film, Teddy dies at the beginning and it's all, you know, putting the mystery together. But obviously yeah. that's a great way of summing up kind of the, the main events. So nicely done. Yeah. And there's lots, there's lots of other bits and pieces and you're not sure what exactly is true or not. And because it's a, obviously it's one of the, it's a great unreliable narrator, great right. example of that. Right. But uh, I, I really do like this film. I thought, uh, I mean, uh, later Christopher Nolan films, regular listeners will know I'm not that, that big a fan of, but this one, it's a great concept and it's done extremely well. The editing and the way it's all put together is what make it. Because on uh, one of the DVDs, uh, special editions, there's like you can you can access a bit where it's all plays chronologically, and it's not quite as it's still in, it's still good to watch, but it's not it's never quite it's not as engrossing watching it in the chronological order. I feel right, but on the whole, it's great performance by uh, Guy Pearce. What yeah. do you think about it, Mike? I, I love this movie. I actually, um, you know, I realized I hadn't seen it in a really long time, so I watched it again just the other day to refresh my memory. No pun intended. Um, and uh, it really holds up extremely well. Uh, the, the the whole con you know the thing about it is it's kind of a gimmick. Yeah, yeah. The whole backwards thing. So it it could easily be one of those films that solely relies on the gimmick and doesn't hold up to repeat viewings because the gimmick is all there is to it. But that's not the case here. It's it's a great film with good story, a good story and great performances. Everybody, I mean, Guy Pierce is terrific. Joe Pantoliano is always terrific. Carrie Ann Moss is really good. Yeah. You know, from The Matrix. Um, and, you know, it, it, it holds up even though, even if you know how it ends, it still holds up as a great thriller. And that is the mark of a good film to me. So I, I really like it. Obviously, I'm more of a Christopher Nolan fan than you are. Uh, but I do agree that this is still one of his best. Oh, totally, totally. It's, uh, yeah, it's, if you've not seen it, even though we've explained it, it's still well worth watching because you're still going, well, how does that work? It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, even if you know what happens, it's definitely worth watching. Okay, so that's what happened in the film. Mike, what happens in your long term? Okay, so Leonard's investigation into Teddy reveals a lot about him. The more Leonard uncovers, the more he's convinced that Teddy was one evil son of a bitch. Apparently, Teddy had tricked Leonard into murdering several people. Admittedly, they were all bad guys, but Leonard was sure he wasn't a killer. Teddy had been masterfully manipulating Leonard for over a year. Leonard was no longer sure what was real and what wasn't, but he was still no closer to uncovering why Teddy had killed his wife. All he had discovered was that Teddy was the first officer to interview Leonard in the hospital after his accident. Teddy had also apparently been the one to break the news to Leonard that his wife had died, but that's all he could uncover. Eventually, Leonard realizes that he's reached a dead end regarding Teddy. And then he hits rock bottom. With no killer left to chase and no more information about Teddy to be found, Leonard realizes that he doesn't have anything left to live for. Despondent, missing his wife, and not wanting to live with the frustration of his condition anymore, Leonard returns to his motel room, puts his gun to his head, and ends his life. And that's the end. But there's more to come. Because we're wacky like that. Oh, dig up. I know, I went a little dark. Oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh. Yeah, sorry about that. 
Oh, well, you know, it's, it's okay. No, if it's very... If it's it's very, a kind of a dark film, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's my long-term, Phil. How about your long-term? Oh, my God. Hold on. <laughs> okay, uh, my long-term, then. Leonard sat on a beach. He looked around. He had a cocktail in his hand, and he was rather confused. He appeared to be covered in many tattoos. They were all of various designs, animals, skulls. Uh, some of them looked like they, had, they were covering up things underneath, but he wasn't sure. However, it was the one on his chest that said, I've done it. You can relax. That made him pause. A woman walked along the beach towards him. He was surprised when she sat down next to him and said, Hi, Leonard. It's me, Harley. She smiled and then said, Check your wrist. He looked at his wrist. There was a tattoo he had missed. It read, Trust Harley. She loves you. He looked at the woman. She smiled and leant in to kiss Leonard on the cheek. Leonard smiled back and sipped his drink. Oh, that's well, my long term. I think that's very nice, but I don't know what the rest of your ending has to hold, so I'm not sure. But for right <laughs> now, aw, yay. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Thank you. But that's uh, that was my long term. What's happening then with your immediate aftermath? All right. Well, Leonard sits outside of his old house, wondering about who lives there now. What is their life like, he thinks. Do they know what happened there? Then he moves on and checks into a motel. He comes across the picture of Teddy and realizes that he's found his wife's killer. So he heads out to a nearby tattoo shop, relieved that his mission is over. It takes several hours, but eventually he gets his tattoos modified, covering up the John G. raped and murdered my wife tattoo and replacing it with one that says, it's over, you found him. Returning to his motel, he pulls out a stack of photos again, looks at the picture of Teddy and realizes he wants to know more about him. Why did this man kill his wife? Leonard has a new mission, to understand why his wife was murdered. And that's my immediate aftermath. Well, actually, it all sounds like it's going to end swimmingly. <laughs> yeah, right? Because he's obviously <laughs> yeah. going to figure it all out, and, and then he'll be yeah, happy, live happily ever fine, after. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, brilliant. I like it. Thanks. I can't wait to see how that ends. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's hear about yours then. Okay. Leonard woke in a hotel room. He looked down and saw a new tattoo on his chest. I've done it, it said. Unsure what it meant, he got up and looked over at the various tattoos on his body and the photos he found lying around. He also found a letter that he had written to himself saying it was all over and he no longer needed to keep searching. He breathed a sigh of relief, but then felt confused. With the killer finally dead, what was there now left for him to do? How would he function? He was covered in tattoos that were there solely to remind him to seek revenge. He quickly grabbed a pen and paper and wrote, Get the tattoos removed, except for it's done. He paused and looked around. He lost his train of thought. He was standing in a hotel room and there were notes and photos and he began to read. There was a knock on the door. And that's my immediate aftermath. Mm, all right. Very cool. Thank you. I like it. Okay, but uh, do you want to bring it home? How does it all begin on the day after? <laughs> all right, my day after. Here this we is go. very confusing. Yeah, a little bit, but I think, it'll, I think <laughs> yeah. it'll work. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Right after Teddy's death, Leonard writes on his Polaroid, he did it, you killed him, it's over. With Teddy dead, Leonard decides to return to his hometown. As he drives by his old house, he's shocked to see his wife bringing groceries in from her car. Leonard slams on the brakes and looks at her in utter shock. He stares at her long after she goes into the house, trying to make sense of the information in his brain. With the help of his notes and photos, it dawns on him that Teddy must have taken advantage of his condition from the moment he met him in the hospital, lying about everything from the very start. Leonard never even realized that his wife had been alive all this time, probably told that he hadn't survived his injuries. He sits there long after she goes inside, lost in utter confusion and shock. Then, realizing how long he'd been sitting there, he pulls out his pen to write down the fact that she's still alive, but before he can find something to write on, the memory fades away. Oh, and, oh no. And that's my day after. 
<laughs> oh, good God. What a gut punch. Uh, thank oh, you. I wasn't expecting that. Well, that's what that's I was hoping perfect. for. Thanks. I was trying that's to, perfect, yeah. Trying to stick with the, the conceit of the film in that, you know, surprises are revealed yeah. as you go backwards, which was not easy. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, good hopefully God. it worked. Because as you were saying that, his wife was still alive. I was thinking, yes, yes. But then I was going, oh, but no. I know how it ends already. Oh, no. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, no, I really enjoyed that. That was good. Thank you, thank Surprising. you. Surprising. Very good. I appreciate that. All right, well, I want to hear how yours wraps up or, or starts, I guess. So give us your day after. Okay. Leonard stands over the body of the man. There's a gun on the floor, and Leonard sees he's holding a photo of the body. Written on the photo are the words, You did it. You found John G. It's over, thinks Leonard. He carefully puts the Polaroid photo in his pocket. Heading outside, he sees a car, and searching in it through his pockets, he finds a key which fits. He quickly writes a note that says, Tattoo. I've done it. And that's my day after. All right. Very cool. So yours is a happy ending then. Yeah, mine's a happy ending. Yeah. I like yeah. it. I like it. I like that he finds love, even if he has to remind himself constantly yeah, <laughs> who yeah. she is. It ba- basically turns into 50 first dates. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Because Memento is basically, it's exactly the same plot. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're almost exactly the same film. Yeah. Because I always, I always consider Adam Sandler and Christopher Nolan films, you know, the equally oh, the same. yeah, absolutely. absolutely. No, no, I can't even back that up. That's... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Phil, do you have any Memento trivia for us? Oh, I forgot to do some. <laughs> you just really want to work that in, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It took 25 days to shoot the film, and Carrie Ann Moss's parts, uh, Carrie Ann Moss's shot all her scenes in eight days. Cool. Aaron Eckhart, Brad Pitt, Alec Baldwin, Charlie Sheen, and Thomas Jane were considered for the role of Leonard before it went to Guy Pierce. Uh, Pierce improvised many of Leonard's voiceovers. Oh, cool. Uh, Ashley Judd, Famke Janssen, and Angelina Jolie were considered for the role of Natalie. And Teddy's phone number in the film, which is 555-0134, is apparently the same as Marla Singer's phone number in Fight Club. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, mm, I, don't, yes. I don't think that's a coincidence. No, no. Memento, I could, I could see a film crossover film with Leonard and Tyler Durden. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There's definitely a, a, a kind of a similar aesthetic that runs through the two yeah, films, yeah. I think, you know? Yeah. Very cool. Mm. All right, there you go. So that is Memento. Hopefully you enjoyed our little experiment there with uh, with Backwards Time. And uh, if not, well, don't worry, because we're not going to do it again. <laughs> no, I, th- I think it, w- it worked very extremely well for yours. That was uh, that was very well done. Well, thank you. Was, I liked yours as well. So, yeah, nice job. All right, well, let's move on to Little Miss Sunshine, shall we? Yes. Do you want to give us, a, give us a rundown of what happens in the film? Yeah, let's do that. All right, so Little Miss Sunshine, 2006, directed by Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, starring Greg Kinnear, Tony Collette, Steve Carell, Paul Dano, Abigail Breslin, and Alan Arkin. So... The Hoovers are a family living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Cheryl, played by Tony Collette, is an overworked mom. And Richard, played by Greg Kinnear, is a dad who has all his hopes riding on a motivational book deal. Cheryl's gay brother, Frank, played by Steve Carell, is staying with them as he recently tried to kill himself. Richard's foul-mouthed dad, Alan Arkin, also lives with them. Their son, Dwayne, played by Paul Dano, has taken a vow of silence until he can become a test pilot, and their young daughter, Olive, played by Abigail Breslin, has just found out she's a finalist in the Little Miss Sunshine pageant in California. The whole family goes on a road trip to the pageant in a beat-up VW van, and along the way, a lot of crazy stuff happens, including Richard's dad dying and them stealing his corpse. (laughs) They get to the pageant, and Olive performs using the incredibly raunchy dance moves her grandfather taught her from rap videos. She doesn't win, but the family comes together in support of her. Then they're banned from beauty pageants in California and hop in their VW van to head back to Albuquerque. And that's Little Miss Sunshine. That's uh, that's very well done. Thank you, thank you. What do you think, Phil? What do you how do you how do you feel about Little Miss Sunshine? I I, I do like this film. It's uh, yeah, you hear about the plot and you go, well, what? How's that work? What? Uh, right. It's very very funny. 
even though it's lots of emotional scenes and damaged people and things like that. But yeah, I, I really, I really like it. It's a nice, it's a nice film. Yeah. Even even though I don't like saying things are nice, but it's yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good happy film which deals with some quite deep issues, but does it in quite a quite an easy way. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. What, what about you? Yeah, I really liked it. I I actually never saw this film when it when it came out. It was one of those movies that just got by me, and um, I only watched it for the first time just a couple months ago, actually. Uh, and um, I didn't, you know, at this point it was like, okay, the movie's, you know. 12 years old and yeah, yeah. I know it got some Oscar nominations and whatever is, is it going to hold up and, and this and that and um, I had a blast with it I thought it was a really fun fun movie like you said some good drama as well it's not just a comedy you know but um, I, I really thought it was great I have to admit that I thought the performances were gangbusters across the board uh, the characters were endearing and uh, I really enjoyed it so yeah I think it's a great film if you haven't seen it yet I, I do recommend it it's a really Good time, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. I just uh, I'll mention this. It was gonna be I was gonna use it in the trivia, but then I I, I just like the fact Steve Carell. He uh, when they were making the film, like the producers were going, "Oh, we don't really really want this guy because he wasn't really well known as when they started making it." <laughs> right. But then uh, the, uh, while they were making it, and in between it being made and then when it was released, uh, the forty year old virgin hits, and also uh, the office and things like this, and right. suddenly. This guy who they go, well, I don't know about him, was this huge star. And they went, oh, we're going to use him to help promote the film. Let's right, 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 right. Yeah, well, there you so, go. See how it's funny. It's kind of nice out. when those things happen, you know, when it's not planned, but somebody suddenly, you know, breaks out. Right, right. Absolutely. Very good. All right. Well, uh, do you want to start us off with your day after? Okay, yeah. Uh, the drive home is very much different than the journey to the pageant. While the loss of Edwin is still sinking in, the family all feel closer than they ever have before. And they constantly laugh and joke about the recent events. They all realise that despite all of their own personal setbacks and heartbreak, they made it through the day and they're all actually okay. And that's my day after. Very nice. I like it. Thank you. Uh, what's going on with your day after them? All right. Well, the family returns home to Albuquerque and gets Richard's father properly buried. And for a while, life returns to normal. Frank is no longer feeling suicidal. Dwayne is talking again. And while his dreams of being a test pilot are over due to his colorblindness, he's decided to focus his energies into becoming a skydiving instructor, figuring he'll still be able to get the thrill of flying, but with his colorblindness not standing in his way. Cheryl decides to try and dial back at work as much as she can so she can spend more time with her family. And Olive, who had a blast at the pageant, has decided instead to take singing lessons. But Richard isn't doing so good. Between the death of his dad and his book deal falling through, he starts sinking deeper and deeper into depression. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now. Okay. Poor Richard. Yes. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. All right. Well, how about your immediate aftermath then? Okay. Well, the funeral for Edwin turned out to be a raucous affair full of laughter and tall tales. The family, after many requests, also repeated the dance that Edwin had choreographed. <laughs> some, of the some of the older people in the audience weren't too sure, but uh, <laughs> everyone in attendance felt it was perfect for Edwin's funeral, and it's what he would have wanted. I, I like that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I could just see it. <laughs> yeah. uh, Frank's, Frank is still living with them, but his interest in life has been rekindled, and he starts looking for work again. He also starts talking to Richard about the whole motivational speaker thing and life coach. Dwayne who's disillusioned by his colorblindness stopping his dreams, begins learning how to play guitar just to fill in the time because uh, he's just bored. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Cheryl, Cheryl and Olive spend a lot of time together and Olive has taken up uh, a few different dance classes while Cheryl basically keeps everyone together and focused on their various projects. And that's my immediate aftermath. All right, I like it. So playing guitar, very cool. Mm, okay. Hey, what's going on with your immediate aftermath then? Well, a few months later, Frank recognizes the signs of depression in Richard and comes to Cheryl. She hadn't realized how badly Richard was doing, but they both agree that he's in pretty rough shape. 
They decide that the family needs another trip together to cheer Richard up, so they decide to go to the Grand Canyon. So, with a long weekend ahead of them, they pile into the VW van, they finally got the horn fixed, and head off to the Grand Canyon. Richard brightens up a little on the drive, but he's still pretty quiet. Along the way, he pulls out his phone and starts taking pictures of odd and interesting things he sees on the trip and posting them online, creating a little travel blog. The trip is going smoothly for the most part, and then the cactus incident happens. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now. What's the cactus? Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Very good. I like it. Thank you. Always Thank good you. to have a road trip. Yeah, I thought so. Kind of felt like yeah. it needed one. So, yeah. All right. Well, meanwhile, let's hear how yours wraps up. Go ahead and give us your long term. Okay. Cheryl, Richard, Frank, and Dwayne join everyone else in the Broadway theater for a standing ovation. Olive, now in her 20s, is the star of the new musical, and it is a huge success. Wow. The whole family is doing well. Richard and Frank co-wrote a series of books, basically motivational kind of things, that take many different classic characters from literature and then shows how their characteristics can be used in the modern world to help get ahead in, in life, work, all sorts of things. Oh, that's fun. Dwayne found out he was actually pretty good at guitar, and he's had a good career as a session musician. Nothing special, but it's just constant work, keeps him interested. And on the side, he's been taking some private uh, flying lessons. He's found some glasses which help a little bit with the color blindness, but uh, he's doing okay. Frank's also had a couple of relationships. They both ended amicably and did leave Frank sad, but in a much better, healthier place. Cheryl had also spent time going to night school, learning how to become a motor mechanic. And over the past few years, she had secretly been working on totally renovating the Volkswagen van. And she surprised them all by picking them up after the, uh, the, cons- after the, uh, the performance in the van. And they drive home to their respective places. Life is good for the family. Oh, very nice. And that's my long term. I like it. I like it a lot. Thank you very much. Very good. Yep, yeah, they all... They all did well yeah. after their turnaround. Right. But what's going on then with your long term? All right. Well, as the VW pulls back into their home in Albuquerque, it whimpers to a stop. Steam hisses out from under the hood as the car dies. The trunk falls off as the family piles out of the van, all completely exhausted and disheveled. Things started with the cactus incident and quickly spiraled out of control from there. There was the incident with the Mexican gang, the explosion at the ice cream stand, (laughs) the high diving competition, the 200 pounds of macaroni and cheese, and finally Dwayne illegally parachuting into the Grand Canyon for reasons that the family was prohibited (laughs) from talking about by the U.S. government. (laughs) (laughs) But the family had survived and Richard was starting to feel alive again. As they piled into the house, Cheryl hit the answering machine button and the message began to play. Hi, this message is for Richard Hoover. My name is Laura Jones. I'm with HarperCollins Publishing. Uh, We came across your travel blog this morning, and I have to say the numbers it's been getting are astonishing. We'd like to talk to you about turning it into a book series. Richard listens to the message, sits down on the couch in shock, says, well, would you look at that? And then promptly falls asleep. And that's the end. Oh, that's brilliant. I like it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I had a little fun with it. Yeah, I love all the different incidents as well. Well, it just seemed like, you know, I, I was trying to think of like if we were making a real sequel, it would be kind of like a, a second road trip, but everything would have to be amped up, you know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So, so why not? No, good. <laughs> I, I, I like the fact that we don't know exactly what they are, but it sparks the imagination. Very good. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Thank Brilliant. you. Thank you. <laughs> all right, cool. All right, well, uh, Little Miss Trivia, I believe it's time for you to shine. So what have you got for us? Why, right, thank you, Mike. Okay, the trivia. Uh, they made sure that Abigail Breslin was really listening to music on her headphones so she couldn't hear Alan Arkin swearing in those scenes. Oh, that's good. That's uh, funny. I like that. Uh, Bill Murray was the original choice to play Frank. Hmm. Paul Dano was 22 when he made the film. His character, who's playing Dwayne, was 15. But he looks 15. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alan Arkin won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor with less than 40 minutes of screen time. 
which is pretty cool. Brian Cranston and Dean Norris have small roles in the film, and this was two years before they worked together on Breaking Bad. Very cool. Yes. That's Little Miss Sunshine. All right, there you go. So those are our endings for Memento and Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, now it's time to move on to 100 Stars of Hollywood in 100 Years, and this week we are sharing our top five performances by none other than Meryl Streep. Yes, uh, you might have heard of her. Apparently she's pretty good. Uh, yeah. I think she's won some awards as well for something. I, yeah, it seems like she's gotten some. Actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, in all seriousness, when I looked on her IMDb page, I think she's got like like 376 nominations yeah. for like major awards or whatever. And I was like, that's just ridiculous. You know she's I mean? crazy talented and crazy successful. Yes. But as we discovered, uh, yes. at least yes. I discovered. To our shame. Uh, to our shame. I, I have not seen nearly as many Meryl Streep movies as I thought I had when I proposed us doing her uh, last week. Yeah. Um, I think it's maybe because of the move, types of movies she tends to make. She does a lot of like heavy dramas and stuff like that. And that typically tends to be one of my lesser favorite genres. Yeah. But I realized going through the list that while I while I did find five performances that I really like, I I, I definitely have some gaps in my, my Meryl Streep filmography of, of some I'm sure there's some some performances of hers that are just amazing uh, from big films, and I haven't seen them. So apologies in advance. Yeah, and I was I was a bit the same as well because lots some of the big ones I've not seen, but some of them I have seen as well. I just as you say, they're very very serious heavy dramas, which you you watch them, they're amazing performances, they're brilliant, but you're still going, oh god, yeah, right. oh <laughs> oh god, and right. if you're feeling a little bit down in life as well, you, you don't you don't really want to watch them, so. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, exactly. but uh, yes, but she is an incredible actress. Nobody oh, can yeah. take that away from her. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, Mike, do you want to get things started then? Yeah, why not? I'm going to have an unconventional pick for number five, actually. It is her role. It's not It's not got Meryl Streep in it at all. <laughs> right, it's Glenn Close. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, it's an unconventional pick uh, because I don't think it's one of the movies that she's known for her acting for, but it is her role as Gail Hartman in 1994's The River Wild. Oh, yeah. This, I, I always put this on my list, but not quite. Yeah, and, you know, it's she plays a mom. on a, She's with her kids on a whitewater rafting uh, trip, and they get kind of uh, not abducted, but sort of taken over by this, these bad guys. Kevin Bacon plays a bad guy, and he wants them to get him down the river so he can escape the, the cops or whatever. But the reason I picked it is because... It's a it's a pretty much a straight up action film. And Meryl Streep doesn't do action films, you know. Yeah. Meryl yeah. Streep does, you know, very intense roles in dramas and stuff like that. And so I, I like the fact that she took a chance with something completely out of her comfort zone and does a really good job in it. You know, even though she's maybe an unconventional movie action hero, I think she does a really good job. Her maternal instinct is on display. You know, she has to win the day, but it's not like in a you know, Schwarzenegger or Bruce Willis film where it's through pure muscles or guns or whatever, you know, it has to use her, her wits and, and what she has around her. So I think it's a good performance. It's a fun movie. And that's my number five. Yeah, an excellent choice. Yeah, it's a diff- kind of different thing, as you say. And it's it's a it's a real good film, actually. I remember being surprised by how good that was when I, when right. I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my number five is one from 2009. It's uh, like a comedy drama. It's Julie and Julia, where it sort of splits between uh, past and the future. It's got, t- well, it's got, Amy Adams is like trying to cook all the, the recipes by Ju- the chef Julia Child and Mel Streep is playing Julia Child and keeps going between the two. I quite like this because Julia Child was like a larger than life character anyway and Mel Streep is just, uh, she just, she, she's got this, she talks like her, she's just, you know, bustling through life and bossing people around and she's very eccentric and it's just, I got the impression Mel Streep had lots of fun doing this one because it was a bit more, 
as we've been saying, it wasn't quite as serious as some of them, even though it's like a real person, but it just seems she just brings this uh, she brings the, the real person to life, I feel, and it's just it's just great. It's uh, it's lovely to watch and I, I do like the film because it's both storylines are, are pretty good, but uh, Meryl Streep is is very enjoyable as the uh as the chef Julia Child. That's my number five. Yeah, good pick. Actually it almost made my list because I, I did enjoy that movie and I do think she's terrific in it. Um I ended up going with a different sort of biopic later on my list, but that yeah, is a good yeah. choice. Good choice. All right, well, my number four, uh, again, not a film that she's best known for or her performance, um, but I kind of picked it for the same reason you picked Julia and Julia. It is Defending Your Life, where she plays also Julia, ironically. Oh, yes. With no last name, just Julia, uh, from 1991. Yeah. Uh, I really love this movie. It was the first time I saw an Albert Brooks film, um, and Albert Brooks is definitely the star of the film. Meryl Streep is a supporting role, but I really like this movie a lot. It's about a guy who goes to, well, he wants to go to heaven but he has to defend his life because he's sort of on the borderline of of heaven and hell and he meets Meryl Streep and she's the romantic interest in it and so I picked it because a I have a real soft spot for the film but also b because she does so much heavy lifting and and drama I wanted to put something on the list that represented her lighter side and and this movie I think really captured that so um so again maybe not the maybe not her finest pure acting performance um but a little bit of uh, it gets a little bump from how much I enjoy the film yeah it's a I was I was thinking about that one, but it's been a long, long time since I've seen the film. So I need to revisit that one because I, I remember a good few laughs in that one as well. Right, right. Excellent choice. Okay, my number four is the uh, the film she got her first Academy Award, Award nomination for. This was for Best Supporting Actress, and it is 1978's The Deer Hunter, which is full of many fine actors. Uh, well, she's, 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 playing like, she's like the girlfriend, fiancé, one of the characters, and it's just dealing with... The film's have hard going anyway. It's the Vietnam War and these 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 group of friends and she's I mean, she could have lots of the female roles in this film could have just been, you know, sunk, you know, just, just totally disappeared because it's all mainly about the these these blokes trying to cope with the things they've seen and done. But uh, Meryl Streep because she takes this role which isn't that much when compared to the rest of the film, but the rest of the characters in the film, but she just elevates it with her pure talent and charisma and she just she just does amazing things with what could have been a one note kind of kind of deal, but uh, yeah, she's uh, she's one of the highlights in the film, which does go to some very dark places. Do you know? I've only seen half of Deer Hunter. <laughs> I've never finished it. Uh, it's it's on my list. I actually have the the Blu-ray in a pile right next to my DVD player at the moment because I'm getting ready to watch it soon. But I didn't include that one uh, because I've only seen the first half, and it was a long time ago. Uh, I do remember being good in it, but I couldn't put enough detail into it. So yeah, you you you're never in the mood for the Deer Hunter. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. I should be a T-shirt. Should I? T-shirt. <laughs> right. I'd buy that T-shirt yeah. in a heartbeat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But a good pick, of course. Hard to argue with that. Like I said, almost yeah, made yeah. my list, but I didn't feel right putting it on there, not having seen the whole film. So no, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Good. So my number three is a movie I don't like. Actually, um, I, I think it's not very good, but I really liked her in it uh, because she plays a bad guy, which she doesn't do very often. It is from two thousand and four. She plays Eleanor Shaw, and the film is The Manchurian Candidate. Yes, uh, yes that's the yes. one starring Denzel Washington. I love the original film. Um, I didn't like the remake very much. It's it's a weirdly stylistic film that uh, I don't know. I, I just don't love it. Yeah. But anyway, but we 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 did get we did go after the ending though of the original film in uh, episode eighty six. That's right. There you go. Yeah. But I, what I like about it is that she plays this politician's wife, who's basically like the the Machiavelli b- behind her husband and her son's political you know aspirations, and basically you know okay's what happens to her son 
which is bad stuff, because she thinks it'll help further her goals. Uh, she's just a real nasty piece of work. Her, the role was played by Angela Lansbury in the original, who's terrific also. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I just, I just like how nasty she is in this film and how dark you know, her role is. Uh, and it was a side of her that you don't see very often. Um, so... So that's why it's my number three. I liked I liked her performance a lot in a film that I don't care for very much. Yeah, I'm the same. The, the new one, it's yeah, but she's uh, she's really good in that. Good choice. Okay, my number three is uh, from 1995, and it is The Bridges of Madison County, of all things. Mm. Uh, directed by Clint Eastwood, who also stars with Mel Streep, and Mel Streep's playing a housewife, and this one lives with a husband and two children when Clint Eastwood comes along as a National Geographic photographer. He's taking photos of the bridges of Madison County, hence the name. It's based on a novel of the same name as well. But uh, he has, uh, Meryl Streep's character has an affair with uh, Clint Eastwood's character. And it's, it's it, it could have been, it could have been like a real cheesy, just naff, you know, made for TV kind of romance drama. And to some extent it is, but because you've got Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood involved, it's it sort of elevates the, the basic story to get to the next level. And you've got this Meryl Streep because of her skills. She just... Shows the constant turmoil she's going through, but the love she feels for this man, but the husband as well, and what to do and things like that. But it's it's a stunning performance, and a film I thought I wasn't going to like at all. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. It's not it's not the most amazing film, but uh, because of Mel Streep in particular, it was uh, I was just drawn through the whole film and uh, quite enjoyed it. That's my number three. There you go. I have never seen The Bridges of Madison County, I have to admit. It is one of those movies that kind of always struck me as being exactly how you described it. So, uh, you know, I've heard it's good. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, I turned over and it was, it was just starting one day and I, th- I thought, well, I might as well give it a watch. Right, and right. Yeah, it was enjoyable. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right, my number two, uh, I don't know how this is going to fly on, on your side of the pond. Uh, it's from 2011. It's her role as Margaret Thatcher in The Iron Lady. Uh, which she did win an Oscar. I've, for. I, I've never seen the film, so okay. I just uh, yeah. I don't. I obviously I have. I don't know much about Margaret Thatcher at all, so I don't want to get into any of the politics of her or anything like that. All I know is that you know Meryl Streep gives a really good performance. She ages throughout the film. Uh, there's some good makeup work. Um, you know she again. I don't know how accurate her performance is as far as uh, you know portraying Th- Thatcher. Although I would suspect fairly accurate because yeah, Meryl yeah. Streep is so good at what she does. Um, but I thought the movie was was solid. I, I didn't think it was terrible. I didn't think it was great, but it was decent. Um, but I do think her performance and it was really good. I do think that was one of the years that, you know, I mean, listen, she's been nominated for a million Oscars. I, I don't know that that was her most memorable film, but I do think her performance in it was really, really strong. So, um, so I put that in at my number two. That might be her most pure acting performance on my list. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. No, that's a good choice. Uh, the, my number two is uh, from 2006, and it's the comedy drama film uh, The Devil Wears Prada. Very good. So Meryl Streep is playing Miranda Priestley, who's like the head editor of a fashion magazine, and she's she's a monster. She's dreadful to her new uh, assistant, Anne Hathaway. It also stars Emily Blunt. It's an amazing cast, but it's uh, it's lots of fun because Meryl Streep is just, you know, a bit like a bad, not a bad guy, but she's not a very nice person, and she just, she just, chews up the scenery whenever every scene she's in and you're uh, often by not doing or saying much at all just this glacial stares and sighs and little things like that but it's uh, it's an amazing role she looks stunning in it as well uh and it's just yeah it's it's so much fun whenever she's on because you just want to see what she's going to do this time because she does 
does say and do uh, some horrendous film things in the film, and it's most enjoyable. And that's my number two. Well, your number two is my number one, Phil. You stole my thunder a little bit. That's okay. Uh, I yeah. apologize. No, that's all right. Uh, Devil Wears Prada <laughs> is my number one. Miranda Priestly. What a great, great role. Just, I mean, just the look of her. When you first see the trailer... I remember seeing the trailer and being like, whoa, look at Meryl Streep, like with that shock of gray hair, like silver, yeah, yeah. like silver. It's not even gray. Um, and all the, the fashion, the, you know, the outfits that she wears and stuff like. Um, but I just I just love her role. I like this movie a lot. I think it's a really good film. And I don't know that it's a movie I would have enjoyed if the cast wasn't so great. Um, but she's a big part of it. And it's, everything you said is is exactly what I would have said. Um, she's just delicious in the role. And she's clearly having fun with it. You know, it's one of the the few times, I think, where you get to see Meryl Streep really just re- relishing the role that she's playing, you know, because I don't think a oh, lot of... totally, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think a lot of her roles allow her to do that because they're, they're so serious and that would break the character. But here, I think you can just see her, like, eating it up, you know, and being like, this is the most fun I've had in ages. So I love it. I love the performance. I like the film a lot. I, I just think she's great. And really, it's one of her most memorable roles, in my opinion. So so that's my number one, Devil Wears Prada. Uh, obviously, we both we both felt the same way about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, an ex- excellent film. It's uh, it's always worth a rewatch, that one as well. Yep. Okay, my number one, though, is uh, quite a serious one. It's from back in 1983, and it is Silkwood, mm, which right. is all about the, uh, the true story of Count Silkwood, who was uh, a whistleblower in the nuclear industry and... Things happen, but it's uh, it's a great supporting cast as well. I mean, it's got Kate Russell and Sharon, but it's this is a real serious film. But she she makes this character of uh, Karen Silkwood come to life. You see the things she was going through when she realized what's going on, and just you just going, oh my god, it really and it really happened. And you're going, oh, but she just again, you're just drawn along by her performance. You just you just invested in the character. You just wonder what's going to happen. She just you can feel you know when she realizes things are getting out of control. Just it's a stunning performance in a in an excellent film. It's uh, which was directed by Mike Nichols, and it's just yeah, written by Nora Ephron as well. Oh wow! So it's it's got a great you know, cast and crew and everything. So it's uh, it's it's worth checking out. Honestly, I mean, it's you hear about the description, then it's you going oh well, but it's 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 honestly got it's a, it's a real good conspiracy kind of thing as well going on through it. Uh, Meryl Streep is just uh, head and shoulders above everyone else, and it's uh, it's my number one. Very good choice. You know, I've I've never actually seen Silkwood, and I think I'm gonna blame that on the name of the movie. Um, because if you don't know who Karen Silkwood is, it sounds like one of those like I don't know, like I always get it confused with Yentl. Like I always think it's one of those like you know really sobby dramas and i know i know that it's not but yeah no I, I i know what you mean yeah yeah it, it always had that impression for me and it took years before i realized what it was actually about and now i want to see it i just haven't gotten around to it um but whenever i even now when you say silkwood the first thing i think before i think like oh nuclear conspiracy whistleblowing is i think of barbara streisand and yentl and then i think of you know meryl streep and sobbing and then i'm like oh no 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 right 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 it's a different kind of movie but i just think that was a a poor choice for the name of the film, but that's just me. Yeah, no, that's I. I understand some sometimes. Yeah, the name of a film can just it can put you off. It just yeah, it, it's just because she's not a famous. She wasn't like a famous person, you know. So like, if you don't know her story, yeah. it just I don't know. It just to me, it always kind of it gave me the wrong impression. Is what I'm not blaming the film. Obviously, it's my misunderstanding. <laughs> but because of that. Yeah. It's I just haven't gotten around to it, so now I'm gonna track it down. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's uh, let me know what you think of it when you do. I will. All right, so there you go. That is our top five performances by Meryl Streep. Definitely one of the the greatest actors out there. And uh, yeah, so good list, I thought. Oh, an excellent, yeah, excellent list. 
but I'm sure many people out there have got their personal favorites because there are some big, big films that she's been in which we didn't mention. Yeah, so. mostly because I haven't seen them, I'm sure. Yeah, but that's the, that's the way these lists will go. Indeed, it is. All right, well, there you go. So that's our uh, top five Meryl Streep performances. That's going to start to wrap up our episode. But before we go, Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them next week? Yeah, next time we're going to be going after the ending of Seven and Small Soldiers. Yeah. That's two separate films. We're not doing Seven Small Soldiers. Right, right. That was a, like a really poorly received remake of Seven Samurai, wasn't it? Seven Small Soldiers. Yeah, yeah. Had like, yeah. It, was like a, it was like an all-action figure <laughs> remake of The Seven Samurai. I just think that was a bad idea. Yeah, it just came and went. Yeah, just, they just never... Like the cinemas for about a day. Never should have gone yeah. with that. <laughs> what were they thinking when they did Yeah, that? Seven, a good uh, good dark thriller, and Small Soldiers, which is kind of an interesting film. Uh, we'll have to talk about it in detail next week, but I'm sure there will be... Uh, some interesting opinions to be shared. Yes, definitely. Um, we'll also be doing our top five favorite performances of Denzel Washington. Yeah, you gotta love Denzel. That should be fun. Yeah, yeah. That's gonna be a hard one. To yeah, know. yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. But that's next time. Very good. All right. Well, there you go. So that's what we have to look forward to. Uh, until that time, though, as always, we thank you greatly for listening. I'm Mike Spring, and I'm Phil Edwards, and we'll see you next week after the ending. <laughs> that was brilliant, Mike. Brilliant, excellent one. <laughs> Darn it, and we just started recording. Oh, no, if only we got that, that would have been comedy gold. The funniest thing anybody has ever said. Oh, well. Oh, dear me. I'd rather have, like, you know, you know, once a week where it snows like an inch or two than, like, these huge dumps, like, every, you know, couple of weeks, you know? Oh, totally, yeah. It's very frustrating. Yeah. But uh, there's a podcast first. I just said huge dumps for the first time. <laughs> <in> the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, thank you. I'll take lowest common denominator humor for the win, Alex. <laughs> yeah, you know I think they go well together. Yeah, all right. I'm down with that. Well, that was easy. I know, right? <laughs> Why? It's not like What's that every What's going week. on? <laughs> well, you know what that means, don't you? It means the podcast is going to be this crap. Gonna screw We're going to be terrible. Yeah. We're not going to be able to get through a single yeah. line without messing up. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Nice. Easy. Wow, we're on a roll today. This episode's going to blow. Yeah. <laughs> Worst episode ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Buckle up, folks. It's going to be a bumpy yeah. ride. <laughs> you think that worst episode that you heard, listened to the other day was bad? Well, you ain't heard nothing yet. <laughs> this train is going one way and it's downhill, baby. <laughs> oh, my God. Listen in awe as they forget how to speak. Okay. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> My, my backup career as a WWE announcer, if this gig doesn't work out. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. Uh, I forget. What? Okay, I'm going to veto what that. What are we doing? What are we doing? I'm going to veto that. <laughs> it's yeah. too... It's... No. It's just... No. I'll just confuse people. Hey, new listeners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so in this week's 100 year, <laughs> you know, after calling it that for so many episodes, it's hard to break out of calling it 100 so years. So it begins. Yes, okay, here we go. Yes, in this week's episode. <sighs> God.